Now entering the Bitcoin Podcast Network. Welcome to Hashing It Out, a podcast where we talk to the tech innovators behind blockchain infrastructure and decentralized networks. We dive into the weeds to get at why and how people build this technology and the problems they face along the way. Come listen and learn from the best in the business so you can join their ranks. back everybody to hashing it out as always i'm your host dr Corey petty and with me is my trusted co-host colin Couchet. say what's up everybody colin what's up everybody colin uh, today's host we have a repeat guest uh dr emin goon sarir coming back coming back to talk us talk to us about avalanche and uh ava and the progress has recently been made within that space uh Dr. Sear, why don't you first give us a quick introduction or reintroduction for that matter as to who you are and how you joined the space and what maybe like a like the 10 word synopsis of what uh, AVA is. Uh, sure. First of all, thank you very much for having me. Uh, my background is quite straightforward. I'm an academic. I am a professor at Cornell. I've been here for quite a while now. Uh, I started out working on peer to peer currencies back in 2002. I built something called Karma with proof of work mining in it. And um, for uh, that was back then, uh, it was meant to be a virtual currency for file sharing and, and file transfers. Um, later on, I discovered uh, one of the biggest flaws in Bitcoin known as selfish mining and uh, got a lot of flack for it. But it is what it is. And people came to accept it. It's now the, 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 the third most cited paper in the cryptocurrency space after Bitcoin, Ethereum. It's the next one is uh, selfish mining. Um, and... Uh, Let's see, then I did things like Bitcoin NG, which is used in a bunch of currencies like uh, Eternity and uh, Waves and a bunch of others, um, you know, with uh, some total valuation around 2B or so. Um, and uh, what else is going on? So I did vaults. I worked on how to make coins more secure. Uh, and most recently, I branched out and I'm doing a company. I'm, I'm only from Cornell. And I'm doing a company called Avalabs, and it's building on this cool new consensus protocol called Avalanche, which uh, happens to be, I think, one of the biggest things that happened in distributed systems uh, ever. Uh, one of the three biggest things that ever happened, I think. And uh, so I can put that in context if, if the viewers would like to hear a little bit about the context in which uh, you know, all this research is being done. So for one, um, I'd say if you're unfamiliar with this, we've 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 interviewed Dr. Sarir before on the show we went kind of in depth right when the white paper from uh, Team Rocket was 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 released to go into depth on the white paper and how things work we're going to do something similar here but then maybe a little more updated because I'm, I'm assuming things have changed changed you've updated the white paper you have stress tests uh, there's an actual network and decisions have been made since since back then on uh, I guess the how, how the architecture of how it all works together so why don't we get start by just saying like um the consensus protocol, which is what you're referring to as Avalanche, is one of the you know three most, uh, I guess you said, important things in distributed systems and ever. Why is that and what is it? Okay, so um, if we roll the clock back to, uh, let's say, let's roll it back to the emergence of distributed systems as an, as an area. Uh, so back to the 70s. Uh, what happened there is people first started um, worrying about the two generals problem. 
and uh, you know how two people can agree to conduct something online and know that the other party will go and go ahead and do it. Uh, that was happening in what I would call the pre-science era of distributed systems. That was followed by one of the most fun. That was proven unsolvable, right? Again, that was unsolvable, correct? There's no solution. Problem: the way it's posed is unsolvable, right? The number of exactly that's that's very good. Uh, that's a very good point, Colin. Um, that is. Um, the, the number of acknowledgements you require to be absolutely sure that the other party will attack at the same time as you is infinite, it turns out. Um, so, uh, but that was, that was, I think, in some ways, the first foray into what is and is not possible in terms of online coordination. And so that problem evolved in, um, into the Byzantine generals problem. Um, and uh, two people really formed that area. One of them is Leslie Lamport, the other is Barbara Liskov. Both of them have Turing Awards. Uh, very well deserved for their contributions to uh, this area. And following the framework set up by Lamport and Liskov, people came up with hundreds of protocols uh, that are in what we call the classical domain. They're classical protocols. Typically what you have is a small set of validators, small set of participants, and they need to take coordinated action. And typically what you then have is they talk, everyone talks to everybody else, and you reach some kind of quorum. Typically, two-thirds of the people have to agree. And with that agreement, then you can move ahead and, uh, and take action. So these protocols are used. Uh, uh, they're not used all that much, actually, but they're making a resurgence. They made a resurgence with permission systems. So when you have a small industry consortium of, let's say, 10 to 20 big shots in your industry, you know, you coordinate them using something like, like, you know, protocols go by different names, like PBFT is in the classical domain. And then you have sort of recent entrants where people go back in history and they dust up one of the old papers and you hear things like Hedera Hashgraph, for example, squarely in the, in the classical domain. It's essentially a rehashing of PBFT, just kind of slower, done, done differently and without a leader. Um, so, so you have a lot of people working on this space in, the, in, in that area of classical protocols, but they all have the same strengths and weaknesses. The strength is these protocols give you a hundred percent guarantee. You know, when they say something will happen, you know, it will happen. Every, like sufficient people have been have been contacted for for them to decide. Um, but the, and and they do it efficiently. There's no mining, right? There's just a bunch of network messages, and then you're done. So that's kind of nice. Um, but uh, at the same time, there's a whole bunch of uh, drawbacks. These protocols don't scale. If you have large numbers of participants, if you have more than 100 participants, you know, 100 squared is already 10,000. That's a lot of messages. Um, if you have more than 100, you know, it just balloons out. If you had 1,000 participants, it's a million messages. You know, that's a lot. Nobody can really reach those numbers. That's why, for example, Facebook's Libra coin, uh, which is in the classical domain, uh, is planning to scale to about 100 validators. That's why Ethereum 2.0, which is also in the, going back to the classical domain, is uh, planning to have about 64 participants in, in terms of validators. Uh, that's why EOS has a small number of participants, 21. They can't handle more. Uh, I can go on like this, uh, but you get the point. Classical was what we had for 30 years. And if you mastered that, you became a, an expert academic in Byzantine fault tolerance for the longest time. And then in comes Satoshi, and he's brilliant. He looks at all this stuff, and he says, look, all this crap that you guys developed, that you academics did, and he's very right about this, all this stuff you did, it's inapplicable to open systems. For them to work, everybody has to know everybody else in the system who's making decisions. And that's a tall order. 
right? It's like, it's okay if I have a non-changing or very infrequently changing set of participants. If it's like the Senate, okay, I have a hundred representatives. I can know all of them and they can, they can reach their two-thirds quorums and da, da 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 and do their thing. That's no problem. And, um, but if I want to have an open system where nobody tracks participation, where you know some people, I know some people, but we don't know all the people at the same time, and we definitely don't agree on when, uh, for example, Corey entered the system. You know, for me, he didn't yet enter the system, and for you, he did. Those, the, the classical systems all break down under that model. So Satoshi looks at this and says, I'm going to come up with a different scheme, and he comes up with uh, the, the very elegant use of proof of work for consensus. And, um, and that's, that's his contribution. Of course, the downside with that is it doesn't scale. It's got these blocks. The blocks can't be too, too large. They can be large-ish, but they can't be really large. Or they can't be too frequent. So you're limited in the numbers of transactions you can clear per second. And, um, uh, and uh, there's enormous amounts of, um, of energy being used in the background. These are probabilistic protocols, by the way. They don't give you a 100% guarantee. They give you a 99.99999% guarantee. And it turns out that in theory, these two things are totally different, right? Uh, me saying something with 100% probability versus 100 minus epsilon, they, to a mathematician, these are different numbers, all altogether different ballgames. Um, but in, uh, in practice, they're the same. There's no difference between you know, a whole lot of nines and, and 100%. Why? Because with some probability, my CPU will miscalculate, okay? The machines we use are probabilistic devices. With some probability, some alpha particle will hit my CPU, and I will think I'm doing something, but I'll be doing the wrong thing. I will have miscomputed. I feel so, like you're trying to cut off one of your criticisms at the past with this, this, this line of thinking here. No, no, I was trying to give some credit to Satoshi, but that's true too. There, there's, uh, it, you know, people can want to lodge this as a criticism of, of Avalanche, um, I will gladly take it on, um, but uh, but there really is no difference between these two numbers. Um, so and it was fantastic and it was brilliant. The, the problem is these protocols they can't stop. There is no termination for Bitcoin. The miners can't just turn off their machinery. If they had time to do that, they would have time to go back and rewrite history. And so they need to be constantly, constantly incentivized to participate in the system, and they constantly consume enormous sums of energy in this you know game of one-upmanship. If Corey adds, you know, a couple more miners and you want to preserve your mining hash rate, then you have to add miners too. And of course, I will feel compelled to add some, some more miners myself. And you have this crazy, uh, uh, crazy jockeying for position that you see in Bitcoin. Altogether, it ends up consuming enormous sums of energy, about as much as four nuclear power plants. That's a lot of energy. All right, I'm a little long-winded today, but let me just sum it up. So we have these two approaches in about 45 years of research. One is classical, the other is Nakamoto, and both are brilliant, both are getting at the same problem via different routes, and they have very different cons and pros. And then in comes Avalanche, and it combines the best of Nakamoto with the best of classical. So it's probabilistic like Nakamoto, it's um, loosey-goosey like Nakamoto, or the other way to put it is it's robust. It can handle some difference in- term, loosey-goosey. Loosey-goosey, I just made it up. It's a technical <laughs> term. I, I want to see it in, in print um, in, uh, in an academic journal. I'll work on this. Um, but the bottom line is it's very robust. Like you and I and you know, like the participants to the system don't have to all agree on who's in the system, and it still works just fine. And, um, 
and it's very efficient. It has quick finality like classical, so the system can come back to you in a second or so with finality. That's faster than my, my credit card, by the way. Um, it's um, high throughput, so it can do tens of thousands of transactions per second. It's, I just did a demo, by the way, in May, um, and you know the demo ended up getting 6,000 TPS. So people were like, you know, constantly saying, oh, we could never reach Visa level, blah, blah, blah. It's like, I don't know what you're talking about, but I have a, a thousand validators doing 6,000 TPS and I didn't even try. Like this is- now, the, the context, the topology of that network makes a difference in terms of the throughput, I'd say. And actually that's one of the questions I'd like to get into later is like how sure. these demos were made and what that yeah. means uh, relative to a realistic scenario of an open, of an open network geographically dispersed right we could, oh, we yeah. for, now, for now it's like i definitely want to hear like what are the features of avalanche like i, I have this this article that was that was written on it um uh it's actually who wrote this i didn't even decide to check um it's by fox anyway they got this nice chart and they show like all these features comparing nakamoto and classical yeah. to avalanche right and avalanche has all the check boxes so you're just like okay when i see that i go okay what are they leaving off here yeah. And so okay. it's listed as like Nakamoto's robust, classical's not, Avalanche is. Okay. Avalanche is highly scalable, quick finality, high throughput, lightweight, sustainable, green in uh, question. Uh, it is easy to implement and understand. Um, although I got to say, I'm still having some understanding issues still uh, with Avalanche, but I think that, that that will sort itself out once I see it in, in time. Um, and then uh, uh, safe in the presence of 51% of attacks. What I don't see on here is things like, you know, storage requirements or anything like that. And so, um, you know, I'd really like to hear some of the features um, of Avalanche and like how they compare before we get into too much of what Corey just said. Sounds good. Let's do all that. Um, let me also talk to you about one critical thing, which is the difference between Avalanche and Ava. Avalanche is the core protocol. And I think we're beginning to see Avalanche adopted into different settings, like BCH has an implementation, Tezos has an implementation they're working on. Just as I predicted when the announcement was first made, um, the, uh, the, uh, the core protocol is so, so cool that it's going to find its way into multiple coins. Um, the particular coin I'm building is called Ava. And uh, Ava has its own unique model that's very different from everybody else who came before us. So we're innovating not only at the, uh, the protocol layer, but also at the layers above. So super happy to tackle all of those, those questions, super happy to talk about the core protocol itself, its weaknesses, uh, its issues and so forth. So, so you lead the convo, I will try to do my best to, to yeah. provide clear short answers. I'll start with, I'll start with let's, let's continue with Avalanche because that's the more, I'd say, broad approach is to stick with the more general idea of a new consensus model and how it works and where it may be applied, like or where, where, where situations where it should be applied based on its strengths, right? Then we can move into how Ava, the actual blockchain network, implements it and how and like its, its architecture and how it takes advantage of those types of things. Great, let's do it. Um, okay, starting out, uh, what is a, what's a drawback of Avalanche? What's the drawback of Avalanche? Before I answer it, I have to give you my typical, my typical response to this, which is, you know, people don't believe you when you have a better thing, okay? They don't so want they to. want to. <laughs> they, 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 they always think there's a catch, and they've been, they've been trained to think that every distributed systems, um, uh, every distributed system, embodies a fundamental trade-off, and um, that's just not true. So you know, it's like, uh, so what's it like? 
you know, it's like somebody has a shovel and you come in with a steam shovel. The steam shovel is just going to be better at everything that the shovel does. Okay. Or, you know, take a better example. Yeah, but the um, cost is a supply chain related to gas and fuel. Yeah. So, like, okay. there's there's right. almost always a trade-off to everything. I don't I don't necessarily right. buy that line of reasoning. Uh, I'll give you another one, Colin. How about how about burritos versus tacos? Okay, clearly the burrito is superior technology. The stuff doesn't spill out the other end. I so, like cake versus pie personally, <laughs> but okay. So, you get the idea. It is possible for something to be strictly better on uh, on all known uh, or all relevant issues. And maybe slightly different in other aspects. Um, so, so with that out of the way, it's it's sort of my my joke answer, but it is an answer, um, and it has to be said that things can be better across the board. Um, but let me try to identify some weaknesses for for Avalanche. So, um, let's see. Avalanche doesn't work well in small settings. If you want to have a a, um, a protocol for a small number of validators, if all you've got are twenty seven validators, like Facebook Libra and they all pay $10 million to, to be there, and they're going to do Facebook Libra things, be my guest. Go use whatever you want to use from the classical domain. And in fact, they, they announced that they're using uh, a protocol called Hot Stuff, which was uh, done by my student, uh, Ted, Ted Yin, um, at VMware with mentors there. And uh, Ted is currently working on Avalanche. So they're fine. You know, it's okay. Go back and use that stuff. It's fine by me. <laughs> so uh, that but, was a very subtle middle finger. I love that. <laughs> no, it's not. I love them. I love the Facebook guys. And they're doing, they're doing. They're I'd say they did good. their homework. If I look, if you look at the white paper and the technical white paper, it's not, it's not uh, well. hastily thought about. Yeah. No, by, 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 by all means, they did their homework and they picked the best of classical. I think hot stuff is the cutting edge on that front. Um, but uh, okay, so number one is for small in small networks, it just doesn't work. The you know avalanche is you, you'll get nothing, no goodness out of the avalanche uh, uh, mode of operation. Um, other other issues with avalanche. Avalanche is a new protocol. There are lots of subtleties with parameter selection for avalanche, and uh, there's lots of degrees of freedom. Uh, I have seen many other efforts to implement avalanche. And when it comes to parameter selection, it suddenly gets difficult for most most people. So the work that the designer has to do is um, is is harder because it's just very brand new. And we ourselves find that you know find ourselves sort of uh, at the whiteboard thinking issues through trying to pick reasonable parameters. And um, uh, so IOTA, for example, has adopted or is trying to adopt a variant of, of Avalanche. Mm -hmm. They've decided to take one number that, that was static and they want to make that dynamic and we'll see what they, they manage to do with that. I think uh, they will find that picking these numbers is not, is not, uh, is not that easy. Um, so those are the two big issues that I see. The guarantee it provides is probabilistic. So if you want 100%, if you want that, that for yourself, um, you're not going to get that out of Avalanche. I argued about why you know, probabilistic versus 100% deterministic guarantee doesn't really make much of a difference. And in fact, it was part of the brilliance of Satoshi to note that those two numbers, 100 minus epsilon equals a, equals equals 100, essentially. Um, yeah, but the and, thing with like Nakamoto consensus, if it works appropriately, is that there's an economical change associated with that probability. So it becomes infeasible after a certain amount of time, economically in the real world, to, to change that type of thing. So there's like a, there's like a, a realism associated with that probability. Does Avalanche have something similar to it? 
what's the realism associated? So that's assuming a whole bunch of things about value of the coins, the difficulty adjustment. Yes, it the, is definitely a lot, a lot of that, like all the, sure. the hash rate and the associated energy going into that hash rate and the value of the coins associated with it has a lot to do with the, I guess, economic feasibility of rolling back that block, rolling back the blockchain and proof. Of I mean, but, but to be real though, I mean, like the, the coin would have to be sub a dollar to even like not after like to revert like 50 blocks, you know what I mean? Like it, it's, it's something that you gotta, you know, take into account that it just multiplies on itself as the more, more it progresses. So it, it, re it reaches an eventual probabilistic, you know, practicality as I think what I'm, is that what you're trying to get at Corey? Yeah. But it has, yeah, it has, it has, it's it, that probability is based on real world valuable resources. Uh, Okay, so th that's so. What 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 you said is exactly right. That that's true. Um, and uh, Avalanche doesn't really say anything at all about this particular mm -hmm. use of uh, of the protocol. But the way we're using and using it in Avalanche in, in Ava um, is uh, one where there is a similar economic argument, which has to do with the money the validators are putting into the system as part of their stake. So um, what you then have to do to revert is essentially give up on your stake. It would end up nullifying the, the bond that you put into the system. Just like in, in Bitcoin and other power currencies, um, the miners tend to lose a lot, as you point out, right? So they could do all sorts of attacks. We never see attacks against the big coins. We very, very rarely uh, encounter these. We do see them against the smaller coins, that's true. But, but the big ones haven't really been attacked because there's so much at stake. The, the people who went into it, the miners, they put so much money together that they'd be fools to lose it. And, and when I say money at stake, I, I, I mean that, like, that the pun is intended. Oh, yeah. The, they're, 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 they're proof of stake systems. It's just extrinsic stake. The, the, exactly right. The, the rigs are the stake, right? And so they put in a lot of money and they don't want to see that money burn. And st uh, proof of stake systems work exactly the same way. There is a slight difference between uh, uh, intrinsic versus extrinsic stake, which has to do with the following. In proof of work systems, uh, the mining rigs, which are the stake that the miners put up, uh, can be used to target a coin. And after the attack is successful, you can take the rig and the stake and use it elsewhere. So that's why you, you have seen people uh, try to attack BCH. You've seen people uh, do things to Bitcoin Gold and uh, I think Bitcoin private perhaps as well. We've seen it in alts many, many times. Uh, people attack, they, they crash a coin, then they take their rigs elsewhere. So uh, in proof of stake systems, um, they have much greater security for the amount of dollars invested uh, because if you attack, your stake is gone. If you crash the coin, whatever you put into it to launch your attack is no longer yours, it's dead, it's, it's zero now. So uh, a successful attack really kills off all of the, the stake of the attacker. And that's not true for proof of work systems. That's definitely true. So like, and, uh, taking that a bit further, what is, what is Avalanche really, really, really good at? Let's, let's take that in the context of uh, a distributed system coming uh, to a decision on a piece of information, not necessarily blockchain, just consensus. Sure. Avalanche's main features are on the performance and inclusion front. So what is that? Very, very quick finality, about a second. Very high throughput. Um, the sustainability is a nice bonus in all of this. But I think one of the most important aspects of Avalanche uh, has to do with the ability to incorporate tens of thousands to millions of participants. 
cells could become the Jihan Wu's of Avalanche. You guys want to participate? You can participate. You want to have a say in every decision? You can have a say in every decision. And that's just not true for Bitcoin. You want to have a say in Bitcoin? You're going to, you're going to need to pony up serious cash at this point. It's been 10 years. Nobody's an early adopter anymore. It's all late stuff. So, so Avalanche is very different in that regard. That's because there's, I think, if I had to uh, say this in my own words, for two reasons. One, in proof of work systems, you're competing against others to win a game for the chance to uh, have the say of the entire network. So what the current state of the entire network is. Uh, in a system like Avalanche, you're not competing for the say of the entire Avalanche, but a subset of that of that state. Is that? And so adding adding more and more nodes or validators, validating transactions, isn't competing against the same um, set of things to come together on. It's just expanding the subsets. So that way, you're, I guess the, the the throughput should scale with the number of validators. Is that correct? Um, it's everything is correct, maybe except the last sentence. Okay. So um, uh, let let me let me try to put it in, in different words. So you're exactly right that proof of work systems are based on competition. And people are competing to become the leader and, and, and define for others what just happened. I want to just get the conch and say, yo, guys, I just came up with a block and this is what I'm dictating happened in the last uh, block interval. Last globally. Interval. Yeah, globally. I'm telling everybody. Um, in contrast, Avalanche is a cooperative game. It's in your best interest to play nice. And if you play nice and everybody will play nice, uh, we'll, then, uh, we'll then come to this. Some number of people might do their Byzantine things and we'll be able to tolerate uh, whatever designed in number that we, we want to tolerate. Um, the throughput of the system is not, uh, does not grow necessarily, at least the way it's designed right now. The throughput of Ava does. So, um, Hold on. Uh, you, you broke up there just a tiny bit. Is that just me? I, no, it wasn't just you. Okay, the okay. throughput of Ava is what? It does not grow with the number of validators. Just about no system, consensus system, will grow with the addition of validators. Um, the latency is proportional to the log of the validators in the system. Okay. So the more Got you it. have, you know, you add tenfold more, then you will end up having to wait for uh, one more round trip. And that's a, that's a factor of gossip networks, right? That's a factor of gossip and anything else like gossip, anything else that involves uh, uh, that kind of dissemination. Um, so latency will go up with number of validators. And I'd have to think about the effect on throughput. Um, it, would not it would not necessarily go up. I can tell you that much. Um, it, it, it might if we did lots of clever things at the higher levels like sharding or division and so forth. But we don't do that in Ava at the moment. Uh, now, did you say that was a log 10 uh, uh, function on latency, or, or did I misunderstand that? I'm sorry, I was kind of ha half trying to check something else out while you said that. Did you? Oh. Did you? It's like if we add 10, you know, a factor of 10 more validators. Yes. Then that would increase the latency by by, by one. By one. Okay. Right. It's like log, right? So, yeah. so tenfold, tenfold adds one to your latency. So another 10 is you add 100, 100 x more validators you get two more round trips added to your latency and so forth. You get the idea. Okay. Uh, it, 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 I don't know. It seems to me as though a lot of this came from the research in like peer-to-peer uh, -peer reputation systems. Like there's a lot of, there's a lot of similarities here in my opinion. Is there not? Hmm. Well, if you think so, um, I worked on peer-to-peer -peer reputation. I, it's, 
you know, maybe it was in the back of my mind, but, uh, you know, I don't know where it came from. Uh, I don't know that these ideas were seen in the reputation systems before, but, uh, you know, you tell me. I see it as like, I, I don't know, a lot of those have components of um, kind of local consensus as well as gossip global consensus and a way to c combine those two things into um, a single answer that everyone should come to eventually. And so you, like with Avalanche, like if I were to say like the very, very small compact way in which Avalanche works, um, you have a decision to make. I think the standard one is uh, the, the color of red, red versus blue. And um, in order to do that, I have an answer, but I would like to see what the network thinks. So I randomly choose um, a, a subset of my peers and ask them that question. I get that answer back and then take the majority answer. I do this multiple times. And the process of doing this, eventually you come to everyone has the same answer. Mm -hmm. And that's the, that's the gist of it in terms of Avalanche. Am I, am I wrong there? You are absolutely correct. That is exactly how Avalanche works. You repeat that process for some number of rounds, at the end of which all correct nodes will have will be holding the same color in their hands. Am I mistaken? I, I am like based off what you just said, and based off you know, based what Corey just said, and how this all to reach the a to be like let's just say assuming Ethereum's fourteen second block times to be one second worse than Ethereum, you need ten trillion. You'd have to have ten trillion validators on the network and that would decrease the latency to 13 seconds assuming that it's kind of in that range is that approximately correct or am i mistaking something about what you're saying um i something like that maybe yeah i mean you wouldn't want to go I mean, <laughs> even if you, even if you remove that by two factors of 10 it's still are you know three that's still pretty a lot of validators it's basically iot level support for a iot enabled smart city kind of world Oh, yeah, yeah, most definitely, most definitely. Um, so, uh, yeah, no, as I mentioned before, we were getting 6,000 transactions per second out of 1,000 validators with sub one second latencies. So, yeah, there's a lot of room to grow here. You want to have a gazillion node for some definition of gazillion that's really large, uh, Avalanche is the protocol for you. None of these other things will scale. Yeah, but based on, based on what I just said, that's coming to a decision on a single piece of information. How do you right. do that when you have a global network submitting multiple, multiple transactions? The throughput has to grow relatively quickly in terms of what a single machine can do. So is there a resource limitation to a single validator? Yeah, uh, typically these protocols will be limited by the bandwidth of the validators themselves. So there is some kind of a bisection bandwidth to any network, right? So you have some number of, numbers of nodes, uh, think of it as a pie, and then you get, get to cut it any which way you like. And you take the average of the of the cut, okay? So uh, to take your network, you cut it, you look at the bandwidth between the left side and the right side, and you do it a bunch of times. There's going to be some average. That's going to be a defining limit for what that network is capable of. If your network is a whole bunch of yogurt containers and strings, then your bisection bandwidth is going to be very low. And, uh, you know, you're not going to be able to get much throughput. If they're all well connected, then you'll get great throughput. So that's that's a defining factor, regardless of what protocol you use. Now the funny thing is, um, we don't know what the network is capable of. Right? It depends. It's an emergent thing. It changes. It changes depending on what uh, the backbone uh, fiber providers actually put in place. Right? It changes based on what people have at their homes, what the cable companies do, and so forth. It changes as you get more nodes, depending on where the nodes are stationed. So, um, so we don't know, and we'd love to have protocols that are capable of splurging and taking up the slack of whatever is available and then, then, then being able to take advantage of all of it. Now, protocols like Nakamoto, 
uh, like Bitcoin and, and Ethereum 1.0, you know, as it is now, um, they can't actually go to the max because to do so, they would have to make a guess as to what, what is the bisection bandwidth and, uh, and back off of it. This was at the heart of the block size debate. And the block size debate wasn't mm -hmm. a whole bunch of bullshit. There was a lot of bullshit that got yeah. said. That's true. But there is a core trade-off there. So you can't really push your parameters all the way to, uh, to what the network is capable of because you don't know what those are. And if you just willy-nilly up this counter, the block size, at some point you will end up cutting people off. So you need a protocol that naturally and gracefully finds whatever that thing is and operates at that level. And Avalanche's sort of gossip-based operation does exactly that. It, it figures out how fast the nodes are going and only makes progress when sufficient responses are, are received. And, uh, and therefore, it manages to find whatever is available in the network and take advantage of it. So something I'm, I'm kind of unclear on at this point still is, is in most of these like Nakamoto Katsetsu systems is a concept of confirmation. Mm -hmm. and, I, and it seems like your whole network is one big confirmation. Like, and yeah. so I'm trying to figure out like, what does finality mean in terms of like Ava and Avalanche and, and how is that different than Nakamoto? Do I have to wait for, like, how do I know when things are finalized? Does that make sense? Oh, great question. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, that's a great question. Let me make it clear. It is a very simple answer to this. So as you point out in Bitcoin, there's a blockchain and you have a transaction in the last block. Of course, you can't trust it because somebody else could come up with a new block. And in the white paper, Satoshi does the numbers um, and, you know, and computes and says, hey, look, six blocks is good. If the, as long as the attacker isn't bigger than 30 percent, six blocks gives you a very good, uh, very good guarantee. So you wait for your transaction, your block to be your transaction to be buried under six blocks. So that's Bitcoin. There's an analogous situation in Avalanche. In Avalanche, we're not building a single blockchain, a linear chain. We're building a graph, what's called a directed acyclic graph a DAG. So there is this DAG being built and you want your uh, transaction isn't final until some number of uh, polls have been done on it. And that number of polls has to do with how deep this, uh, this transaction is in the DAG. So uh, what do I mean by that? Imagine that on day one, we have the Genesis vertex and people start attaching some transactions to it. And then other people attach other transactions onto those transactions and so forth. So there's some depth to this DAG. There's the early stuff that's really, really old. And then there's the latest stuff up until what we call the live edge. So I'm trying to sort of draw a picture in, in the viewer's minds. Um, it's a little tough to do, but you can imagine that there's this live edge that hasn't yet been decided. And there's the stuff behind it that, that is deep enough. Those deep things are confirmed. They are finalized. They are essentially impossible to revert because the network has spoken and they picked those transactions in contrast with others that might conflict with them. If you introduce something and you want to say, hey, look, you know, this thing in the past did not happen. Instead, the money went somewhere else. Uh, the network will say, no, 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 that stuff is really deeply buried in the DAG. We already decided and uh, your new transaction is unconfirmed and will it'll be uh, finalized, rejected. It's out. So there's a very analogous uh, burial uh, sort of scenario playing out in Avalanche as well. So you have, but like, if you if you try and look at how um, other DAG-like systems uh, in blockchain work, like look at look at IOTA, 
the way that they come to consensus or like or like I guess increase confirmation on transactions is that every new transaction has to confirm two previous transactions or something like right, that. Right, which has this downside. I mean basically you have to have throughput to fuel the system. Yeah. And if there's not a sufficient amount of increasing or, or sustained throughput, then the system starts to backlog. Well, I wanted uh, to I it? wanted to put forth this oh, sorry, kind of like Corey, this, I didn't mean this, this general concept in that like the the blockchain is just a data structure, but you you specifically choose the architecture of these blockchains so that um, your consensus mechanism works appropriately. Like you can't do Nakamoto consensus unless you have uh, a, a, a succinct hash of or fingerprint of the entire state of the network you can pass around. Mm -hmm. um, what are you doing in AVA with the DAG that allows you to take advantage of Avalanche? So, okay, so exactly what you said is right about IOTA and um... Uh, in Avalanche, we're doing so. IOTA, you know, the consensus protocol. You're being very generous to them. Their consensus protocol is is incorrect as it is, um, and the new yes, one is I'm being Avalanche. generous. <laughs> <laughs> but there's value in being generous. I, I like those guys, and, and they're they're fine. Um, you know, I, I wish them the best with uh, with their new protocol. Um, let's see. So in in Ava, what we're doing is um, essentially introducing new transactions that confirm previous ones because every transaction is, is going to require its own polling and it makes sense for everyone to piggyback on other other polls if i'm going to be doing some polling for a transaction anyway why not allow that polling to confirm previously unconfirmed stuff so in alpha you can have some number of parents i think the exact number is up to you to decide either one to five you don't we don't want to have to too, too many um, uh, because, you know, just for storage reasons. Uh, but some number of parents are up to your discretion to, to add to your transaction so that, you know, you help others go through the system. If there is no throughput in the system, then there won't be a backlog. Uh, what instead we will have is a bunch of repeated polls to try to push those backlog transactions through. You don't need to, uh, you don't need somebody's genuine transactions to push old, you know, to push the old stuff through itself. You just need to repeat, repeatedly poll the network some number of times. If something is sitting in your queue unconfirmed, you just poll and poll and poll until you decide, okay, this is confirmed. And how many like polls does it take to to confirm something? Um, and who are you polling from? Like, how is this, that determined? And does that matter? Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. See what I mean, it's like these are like like this is like differentiating basically IOTA from from Avalanche in that they're both DAG based systems or AVA, I should say. Because Avalanche is really the consensus mechanism. We're talking about the DAG, which is part of the, the AVA ecosystem. Technically, you could probably use different data structures to represent this. And I think you mentioned that on the last show. Right. Um, so differentiating this, I mean, I know the problems with IOTA and that, you know, this throughput issue became huge where you'd have it seven minute, I mean, seven hour confirmation times. Right. Right. Uh, when they first launched. So, um, like, I'm trying to figure out what amount of polling, who are you polling from? How is that determined? Does it matter? How are you finding people yeah. to poll? That kind right. of thing. It all matters. These are all important questions. I will very quickly answer all of them. Uh, you want to pick people at random and uh, you want to discover as many people in the network as possible. And uh, we have protocols for doing all of these. These are fairly well understood, uh, simple processes. And uh, having established some notion of who's in the network, you want to poll them at your own discretion. You pick, pick the ones that you like and you ask five to 10 people um, how many times is the crucial number? And that depends on how big you expect your adversary to be. And um, uh, for realistic attack scenarios and realistic numbers, the, the answer is somewhere between 15 to 25 rounds. 
That's a tiny number of rounds. You're in a very low, sorry, and I should mention, for a network of size 10,000 to 100,000 or so. And that's how so, many people are you polling for each round? To five to 10. Okay. That's what I just mentioned. So five to a very small number. So as a note- Is this that stadium example you gave us last yeah, time, basically? Yeah, okay. yeah, okay. I'm starting to actually piece this together now because like, you know, when you give it last time, it was very early. The Team Rocket Paper had recently just come out. Right. You know, we're still involved in all these other kind of consensus mechanisms that I'm trying to catch up on as well. At this point, I think I kind of get a, uh, I'm starting to see where you're coming from with this. So basically you take the IOTA tangle and you add this polling mechanism onto it. I know, probably shouldn't say it like that. <laughs> Sorry. touching the IOTA tangle at Let's all. Let's not do that. All right. Well, whatever. Yeah, the, 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 coordinator. I don't know. I what apologize. I know. Thing, I, saw, right? I saw you cringe when I said that. The audience can't see it, but they can verbally hear it. Um, but, you know, the point is I'm trying to relate this to things I already knew that didn't work, how you might be improving upon them, that kind of thing. Right. And that it's important for me as a foundational to understand the bigger picture, to build off of what I learned and then basically, like, be the the uh, the um, Costello to Corey's Abbott, and and uh, and you know dummy my way through this and kind of understand things in a very basic way. And the way I understand it right now is through that previous DAC work, such as but not limited to IOTA, um, where uh, you know they had this issue with the throughput, but basically they didn't have this polling mechanism. They didn't have the insight that you did. And so what I'm trying to isolate is that insight, mm -hmm. um, and and the mathematics behind it, especially, is something I have to kind of intuitively feel. Right. Um, so, so maybe, you know, Colin, there's one thing that I can say that really helps people, which is imagine you're trying to decide in a network, you're in a giant stadium and uh, everyone's trying to decide between red and blue and they've gone through the process. And, um, and so you can see that if everybody has selected red, there is no reverting that, right? You come in with blue in your hand, you ask people like, no, God, no, no, no. Like we, we picked red, right? That's easy. Now go back a step. Imagine you're the last guy with blue in your hand and everybody else is red. In the next round, you're guaranteed to be red, right? And go back one step and you know you can go backwards like that. You know, at some point sufficiently far away, um, there's, there's, it's, put, it's possible for you to veer back towards blue, but it's negligibly small. And if That's you go- That's dependent upon your malicious actors, the guys refusing to turn red. Uh, yeah, that depends on the, the exactly the Byzantine, the size of the Byzantine component. So, um, so you can see how the intuition works: is that if there is a sufficient big, sufficiently big crowd that has made a decision, then uh, then there is no reverting that. That that process will just carry itself through to completion, and uh, it's a very powerful process. It's the reason why the uh, the UASF succeeded as well, by the way. So the the user user um, uh, user initiated uh, soft fork. You know, if the entire network says something and you want to come in and say something different, you'll find the, the rest of society pushing back against you. And the people you want to trade with are in a different reality that you have to conform to. So, um, so anyway, so that's sort of the rough intuition that, uh, uh, that's behind the, the Avalanche uh, protocol. It, it's just you essentially want the, to move the masses to a decision, to a single decision. And uh, this process is proven uh, to terminate very quickly. And as I mentioned, the number of rounds is very, very small. So for, you know, tens of thousands of nodes, you know, you do it for whatever, like 15 to 25, this is like 20 rounds or so. You're contacting 10 people, 20 rounds, it's 200 packets. It's nothing. An IoT device could do that. So I remember um, when you gave your consensus talk last year, and when you talked to us about this last year, you mentioned that there'd be a smart contract, smart contracting language on top of this. How does that right. work in a situation like this? 
Great question. Let me talk a little bit about the Ava model. So we've extended, um, so Avalanche is, is the protocol from Team Rocket, right? So it does all this stuff. And you asked me about its strengths. I said, oh, yeah, performance and, and inclusion, the ability to allow people to join. But that's not it for Ava. Ava is actually innovating across the stack. And I want to talk to you guys about it in the remaining time. There isn't all that much of it. So one of the things we added on top um, is the ability to have um, multiple coins, the ability to have multiple scripting languages, and the ability to have multiple kinds of nodes. And I want to expand on this um, uh, in a bit, maybe. But let me answer your particular question. So we added the ability to have smart contracts to Ava. Our smart contracts are, are going to be written in EVM or potentially also WASM. And uh, we can support multiple, uh, uh, multiple, uh, uh, multiple scripting languages. Um, and uh, uh, so at the consensus level, I mentioned that we're computing a DAG. And you are probably going to say, because you guys are very savvy, um, you're going to say, hey, smart contracts typically require a totally ordered timeline. You want to know that X happened and Y happened and Z happened. You know, you're selling tickets to a concert. How many tickets are outstanding? Did Colin come first or did Corey come first for the last seat at the conference? We have to know these things. And the DAG is not exactly amenable to this. So um, in AVA, we provide totally ordered timelines for smart contracts. So um, if you think about it, a blockchain, a line, right, is a linked list, is essentially a subset of a DAG. Every, every linked list, every blockchain yeah. is trivially yeah. also a DAG, right? Yeah. So, uh, so we can embed any number, of, any number of totally ordered timelines inside a DAG. Uh, the nice thing, of course, is they're independent of each other. So if you have a smart contract and I have a smart contract, yours can get extended at the same time as mine uh, without interfering with each other. If you're CryptoKitties and I'm a DEX, I am unaffected by the activity happening on your timeline versus mine. So that's kind of a nice feature of, of AVA. We can have high throughput, parallelism, as well as a totally ordered timeline within the context of a DAG. How is state managed with that? Um, once you have this, the totally ordered timeline, it's managed in exactly the same way as it is in Ethereum. So there's a state root, every update changes the state, modifies it, and there's a new hash summarizing the, uh, the, latest, uh, uh, the latest state. Something I read, um... <coughs> excuse me. Something I read uh, regarding how uh, transactions are sent or for, for coming on to uh, the consensus for Avalanche is that uh, you need the entire history of uh, a, 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 a given state in order to come to come to consensus on it. Is that is that going to have an issue? Oh, sorry, well, first, is that true? Like, no, it's okay. not. I'm not sure where you read it. Maybe um, I just I just misinterpreted. It's a I guess no, the no, concept of chits. Uh, yeah, the con oh the concept of chits applies to your progeny, to your children, not to your ancestors. So I don't have to know your ancestors. You know, if you're, if you're showing up at my doorstep with, you know, 10,000 people who say you're awesome, uh, you know, I don't need to know what happened to your parents, right? I don't, I don't care about them. It's a similar way um, in which, like, basically, if I were to make the analogy of how, uh, like, say, Ethereum works, right? Ethereum is a similar type thing. It's just the DAG is just a single line. That's right. Um, and you have to fit all smart contracts and all state changes into that single line. Right. Um, it's very easy to reference. But in the, in, the, in the concept of a DAG, or at least a, a more generalized DAG, in which you can have multiple different um, paths and branches and so on and so forth, a smart contract is its own line. Right. 
And then um, if you would like to use smart, smart contract to smart contract talk, you have just links between those two different lines. So it's more like concurrency than everything flowing through a single pipe. Exactly right. Exactly right. And that's one of the reasons why we get high performance. That's right. Exactly right. As well as being able to do uh, multiple scripting languages and so on and so forth, because they're all basically independent of each other. Um, yeah, this, I mean, that's something slightly different from the rest. It, it doesn't have anything to do with the structure of the DAG, but, uh, but yeah, so that, that's something we can do um, by virtue of, of the way we constructed the rest of Hava. Um, so that point really requires some thought and some, some discussion. So maybe I, I, you know, I, I kind of want to mention that it's important. So everybody else in this cryptocurrency game, everybody, like you open up CoinMarketCap, 1,800 tokens, all of them have the following simple mindset that they all stole from Satoshi. And I'll tell you the mindset. I have a coin, I have a scripting language, and I have a network. One coin, one language, one network. You want to make a change to something about how the coin operates? Well, you have to go talk to those network operators. You want to make a change to Bitcoin? You're going to have to talk to Luke Jr. And he's going to tell you that he's got some weird raspberry <laughs> pies in the swamps of Florida and he doesn't like your changes because his raspberry pie can't keep up with it because that's the universe they live in. And, and he's right. Like there is no, like you have to get him to be on board because there is one network. Like that's, that's why those guys fight so much. Um, so, you know, should the op return be 40 bytes? You know, he doesn't want it to be 80 bytes because da, 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 da. You know, we can go into this, but they have to have all of those fights because they have, they're fighting over the same single platform. Now you look at any other coin, you name it, IOTA, NEM, NEO, whatever, like all these latecomers, Ethereum, um, they, even though they came late, they were unable to break out of that mentality. They just copied what Satoshi had. Ava is different. We're not doing that. We imagine a world with millions of coins. Every single stock certificate is a coin. That's how I view it. Every single real estate parcel is a coin. That's how I view it. There will be gazillions of these things. Then there will be scripting languages that apply to them. So, you know, there's the Bitcoin scripting language that's supported by wallets. Uh, there's the EVM for smart contracts. There's WASM for new people who want to write in a different language. There might be gazillions of others. There, there is zero knowledge proofs from Zcash. There is ring signatures from Monero. There is a whole lot of different rules that apply to gold, that apply to real estate, that apply to boats, that apply to, you know, you name it. For every kind of asset, there is a different scripting language. And most importantly in Ava, there is also a different set of nodes that could be providing different sets of services to different kinds of coins. It is not a lowest common denominator single network. It's an interoperable network with, if you will, different individual islands inside. So for example, you could issue Colin coin tomorrow and you say something like, hey, I want, you know, the Colin coin represents uh, land in the state of, you know, wherever, Virginia, you convince those guys to go with you. So it obeys this real estate rules that you can coalesce two coins that are adjacent in real life, etc. Um, and, you know, you also like the ZKPs and ring signatures. You want anonymity for these real estate transactions. But by the way, you want, you're not going to get people to store real estate for you. That's not what regular people do. So you're not going to be deploying on the, the default Ava network, which is going to have, you know, the default nodes on it. You might very well say, look, the nodes that support me are nodes that are colored purple. Now, who's colored purple? Colin decides what's what's colored purple. Colin Colin's purple. So in essence, what you can do now is 
Yeah, why not, Colin, right? And it's uh, a good color. It's a good color. So so now to get that purple color from you, they need to get a certificate from you. So you can pay them out of band for providing additional services. You can say, yo, look, you're going to be doing real estate stuff. You'd better keep these uh, these records around for 50 years. I will pay you accordingly. And by the way, you know what you're dealing with. This Colin coin is not like regular coins. It's not AVA. It's something else. And you get to get transaction fees commensurate with the service you're providing. So you're going to be storing this crap for 50 years. You'd better get, you know, when I bought my house, it was 5,000 bucks, right? For the, the record keeping uh, aspect of it. The transaction fee ought to be 5,000 bucks or maybe up to 5,000 bucks because it's a different kind of service if that's what it takes to have that longevity. So, um, so this is really different for AVA compared to everybody else. These other guys... You know, they've had 10, 10 years to play in their sandbox. And in 10 years, all they did was bicker, fight with each other, and, and at the end of the day, form weird tribes without actually innovating on any front. We've innovated not only, obviously, at the, by taking the best known consensus protocol, but also by coming up with a new system model that is better grounded. It's legally better grounded, it's business-wise better grounded, and it leads to systems and deployments that other people cannot even fathom. People in the trenches fighting over inches and you just went to the air. Gotcha. Yeah, I, I think <laughs> we're not, we're like we get attacked by all sorts of people. There are lots of copycats. There are people who are claiming like, oh, you know, you know, we came before you did whatever. Um, it's like all sorts of fighting. We don't engage in any of that. We don't care. Like my hmm. eyes on the $3 trillion, $3 trillion of assets that are not digital right now. That's what hmm. I want to go after. I'm not going to make five more bucks by taking it out of Bitcoin or whatever or not. Like that money is fine. It's, it's, it belongs where it is. I don't care about those. I'm not going to fight it out with IOTA. They can do whatever they want to do. Not that, uh, you know, they're doing all that much anyway, other than HODL. Um, so look, yeah. I, I really don't want to, don't want this to go too long for you. Uh, but I, I do have one outstanding question. If you do sure. want to answer it, I'm not really clear on the storage uh, requirements, what it takes to actually sync with the network. Great. So, okay. So, um, yeah, this was the previous question. I said no to it, but I didn't really explain. So you do not need to store the entire state of the DAG. Uh, a node needs to know the current uh, live edge plus one, so to speak. So you need to know the live edge. You need to know the confirmed transactions right behind the live edge. And you need to know the entire outstanding UTXO set, if you will, the equivalent of the UTXO set or everything. You need to have the, you know, the outstanding uh, balances. If current you state. Current state. You need to know the current state, which is what you're keeping track of, and the current unconfirmed transactions. But you don't need to have the entire full history of the world. There will be archival nodes that keep track of that, but the regular node doesn't need it. So coming up to speed should be, should be easy. Um, now, storage requirements will depend on how fast we, we run the network. And the nice thing about the model I just mentioned is it gives you freedom to join the different kinds of groups on the network. You want to join the default network, you're going to go at the speed of the default, default system. Uh, we foresee that that speed is going to be high. I want it to be about 5,000 TPS or so. So, um, uh, so you might very well uh, end up going, if we end up, getting 5,000 TPS sustained. That means we're outdoing Visa. We're doing amazingly well. And that is the kind of success problem I want to have. Uh, yeah, you're basically Black Friday every day. Black Friday every day is fantastic. Bring it on. 
And if that's my problem, then my users might start to complain a little bit about the storage requirements, uh, which translates to approximately $100 worth of storage per year. So uh, they collect transaction fees and staking fees for this. So there is that. They also get the appreciation from the coin. So, you know, it's not, it's not the end of the world. Um, but if they decide that the costs are too much compared to how much they're making, of course, the network, um, not I, but the network will listen. In fact, um, Ava has governance built into it. So if the users want to change how it works, they get to vote and they get to, uh, to, to make their voices heard and they can change key parameters. Every key system parameter in Ava is up for governance. So you could say, yo guys, um, I see that we're minting coins at a rate of 2% per year. That's too much because the price is tanking for whatever reason. And so therefore we should go to 1%. And, and if you have enough people voting with you on this, you, they, the system will then move to that point of operation. Or vice versa, you can say, look, we're minting at 2%. It's not enough. We need more stakers. We need more people. Let's go to you know, 3%. Um, so I have to say a couple more things about this governance mechanism. It's not like what you people have seen in te Tezos. Uh, not everything is up to change. So things can't change drastically. In Tezos, there can be a vote, and suddenly we're in a different universe. In Ava, um, only certain parameters can change and they can change by only so much per time unit. So essentially what I want to do is I want to be able to go on vacation and not check anything. And I want money to be a calming thing. I want everybody to be able to sleep well at night, knowing that they're not going to lose uh, the coins that they put into the system. So um, I don't want to worry about slashing. We do not have slashing in our system. There, even if your machine is hacked or misbehaves, you will not lose the, the, the coins that you you changes that can happen that um, that end up uh, end up uh, changing these key parameters. So the minting rate, for example, can only change by uh, so much, say around 10% for some time unit. So, you know, you go on vacation, okay, you know, the minting rate can move from 2% to 2.2 uh, or down to 1.8, but, but not drastically to 0% or to 2,000%. It's not going to be insanity-inducing numbers uh, over there. So... With the time remaining, which is not a lot, um, I, was, I, was, I was very curious as to the tests that you've recently performed um, mm -hmm. that, that give you these numbers. How, what was the, like, can you explain how these tests were done uh, sure. so that I can, I can have a better idea on how to evaluate the results of them? Sure, I will relay them as best as I can remember them. Um, the, uh, the bottom line is as follows. They are real tests from the real system. That is to say, our actual Go code is running on a bunch of machines. Um, it turns out that getting a thousand machines on AWS is not trivial, but we ended up getting a thousand actual nodes on AWS. So this is exactly the same as a thousand different dedicated machines scattered around the world. Um, the um, uh, the code that's running is the latest Go code. It is not super optimized. It's got a bunch of different features that are not present in our C++ code. Our C++ code is much faster. We were getting 19,000 TPS from our C++ implementation. And our Go implementation was about 6,000. Um, and the nodes are in multiple different availability zones. So they're, they're scattered across the globe. And there's a sum total of 1,000 of them. 
I was, I was just curious if this was done on like a little like the, a kind of a like you you look at what people have said in previous kind of uh, test net scenarios where they run um, maybe like they a, put on their like own a Docker swarm on their own machine, right? And they say yeah. we could do so many so many transactions per second. It's like, well, this is not realistic because there's no yes. real wire, right? Hey, do you want to give me a few minutes to talk about this? Because this dude, is, you can I, have all the time you want. We're worried about your time, so I yeah. know there, there's a call I have to go to right now. But this conversation so i'm going to talk to you guys so look i've been an academic for a long time i know how these numbers are measured and i have seen as a peer reviewer of other people's papers i have seen every trick in the book let me go through them so <laughs> your viewers know exactly how to lie in all of these tests i will give some names maybe even i don't care it's like you know i think great so so you want to make your numbers high, right? That's the name of this game. And it's freaking hard. It's really, really hard. And most likely, you are somebody who doesn't have a great idea. All you did was take Satoshi's idea. You tweaked a couple of numbers. Maybe you came up with a hybrid protocol, right? Or you, or you went and dusted off something from the 90s or the 80s. You know, we've seen everybody do this, right? Or you have something broken. We've even seen that. You have a centralized coordinator or whatnot. You, you've got something crappy. And now you want to make it look good. We're going to polish uh, the proverbial turd right here. So how do you do this? Trick number one, you report not transactions. You report transactions per second, but you goose the system such that there's batching going on on the client side. So the client, instead of giving you a transaction, gives you a thousand transactions all at the same time. And you make one decision on the hash of the, of the thousand transactions. You do this, you've just multiplied your transactions per second by about a thousand, right? So I've seen this all time and time again. This is trick number one, the easiest trick in the book. Second trick in the book, uh, server-side uh, batching. So transactions give you one transaction at a time. The server does nothing on these things, just sits on them until it accumulates a thousand of them. Then it makes a decision on that one hash of a thousand, and then it pushes that through, voila, you got a you got a thousand fold increase again, and then you can say, "Look, my clients don't do batching," and this is an ingenious trick. Um, this is it's a bit more honest than the first trick. The the first trick is just lying; it's just flat out fraud in my book. Uh, the second one, your latencies went up; they went up a thousand fold to be able to collect those thousand transactions. So latency goes up with these schemes. So anytime you see high throughput, high latency systems. Um, you know, I don't need to name names, um, but anytime you see those two combos uh, happen, typically that's that's what's happening in the background. The third trick, you get rid of overhead. So you get rid of the overhead of communication. You run all of your code on the same damn machine. You buy a very expensive box and you simulate the clients on the same box. Better than gigabit speed or, or uh, infinite band yeah, speed. <laughs> it's not even gigabit. I have even seen people do, they cut out the entire network. Mm -hmm. I, this is just, it's just so ingenuous um, or disingenuous, I should say. So, um, so this, is, this is just flat out lying and uh, any, anybody who does this is doing it wrong. Um, next trick is cutting out the database. So everybody and his brother is using level DB in this game, right? They have, there's a database in the background. You have to make a record. You have to make a chicken scratch mark on disk. Well, 
making those chicken scratch marks on disk is hard work, right? It turns out you have to write somewhere and you have to be able to find it later. And so that requires writing to multiple places on disk. That takes time. And so if you cut that, you're going to get a lot of speed. And so you've got these people reporting numbers where they're supposedly building a blockchain, they're supposedly keeping records, and no disks are involved. Yeah, RAM, what I guess. It's, like it's just running it all in, in memory, I guess, huh? It's, they're just running it in memory. I think this uh. could, it's, uh, you've seen it time and time again, and uh, it's pretty insane. Um, other kinds of overhead. I have seen, uh, for example, Algorand's reported numbers all involve absolutely zero overhead spent on uh, signature checking. So it's a cryptocurrency where transactions come in and the time spent on checking signatures is not being reported. I think that's not nice. Um, I think that, so anytime people start to pull these tricks, then other people have to pull the same tricks because the, the, the sort of the, uh, the bar gets, gets raised um, higher and higher. All right, dude, um, what tricks are you pulling then? So what Come tricks on. are you pulling? No, we're just running this code straight up. Now you can there say, you go. Oh, look, is, this is not the same. I, I'll be very honest about the limitations of our, you know, like when we actually deploy, which hopefully isn't going to be too, too long from now, um, you know, the numbers that we get from the real network are, may not match what we were getting in the testnet. That's, that's possible. And if not, I'll tell you the reasons why. We are still on Amazon. Amazon to Amazon connections are over fat pipes. And so we're taking advantage of those fat pipes. If, um, if people end up uh, deploying our network, our code on networks that are very, very slow, we're not gonna be able to reach those numbers. Um, the benchmark we have uh, only has a handful of uh, availability zones. In reality, every, you know, in, in actual deployment, everybody will be at their homes, I hope, and uh, will be participating from home, maybe from hosting centers, but from many, many, uh, many of them. So there might well be, you know, differences that between achievable and, and actually achieved. When you say availability zones, you're talking, are they all U.S. Uh, North America based? Um, have you gone to like, you know, uh, any of the, the Korean or, or uh, uh, Germany? Like, or, or are they all just United States based, like in your tests right now? I believe they're not all U.S. based. We have uh, nodes deployed in all of their availability zones, mm -hmm. except South America, I believe. Mm -hmm. For cost reasons, we cut it out. Uh, or maybe except Australia, um, or maybe it could well be minus Australia and minus South mm -hmm. America. Mm -hmm. So maybe the Southern Hemisphere is not well represented in our benchmark. Um, but, uh, um, but you know, I don't really remember. I wasn't there for the measurement. I was actually out of town. The point day. is, is it multi-continent? That's all. That's like the bare minimum, I think, for, for a solid solid test in that case. Yeah, yeah I mean, no, it's multi-continent. Multi I mean, you're, you're only running AWS, so you're not running anything Azure or Google Cloud or anything? No, that's just extra effort and, and hassle for us at this point. Okay. So I, I'd rather deploy. Okay, let's, we'll, we'll call the test good. And you've given us, a, um, I'd say, a reasonable idea on how it was done so people could make reasonable expectations or conclusions on it. But like, my question is, in a, real, in, a, in, a, in a real life scenario, when this network is live in people's homes, like you just said, um, what's the bottleneck of consensus uh, for bandwidth? Is it, is it the lowest common, lowest common denominator in bandwidth? No, no, it's uh, it's. I think the the it's the bisection bandwidth of the network, which is you cut the network every which way you take the average. That's going to be the main. I can see that. Okay, I'll have to think about that a little more. Yeah, um, so, but... I mean, it's a bit more subtle than that. Uh, you know, we can talk about the the CDF of network speeds, the distribution of network speeds, and there is there. So anybody who's way too slow, you could ignore them in essence and 
count them as part of the Byzantine component. Right? Uh, okay, got it. That makes that makes so, more sense because because you're randomly sampling. If you're not getting an answer yeah. back from somebody, you say, "Well, screw off. I'll find someone else." Yeah, they'll just wind up polling anyway and get their own decision. If they don't agree, well, then they're off the network. So who cares, right? Yeah, exactly, exactly. Okay, um, I think that's a great way to wrap up. Is there any questions that you wish we would have asked you that we didn't get around to? Um, not really. I think we touched upon, we spent a lot of our time on Avalanche, um, so it's, it makes sense to do so because uh, it's maturing now and it's taking form. Um, so I hope I got the point across that there is much more going on with Ava than with just at the Avalanche layer. So yeah, I'm sorry we, we didn't get into that a little deeper no, than no, I think you would hope. If we could have you back on very yeah, soon. No, I'm, I'm, I'm super happy to be back. I'm super happy to have Kevin be back, uh, one of my architects, or Ted, one of my other architects, uh, chief protocol architects. But um, so that model, the change in model is exciting. Uh, we also have a whole bunch of uh, new ideas in store at the user experience, user interface layer. And, uh, you know, I'm really excited. And, um, and also there is this positioning question that, I maybe alluded to, um, but didn't really come up, which is really key for a lot of these systems. Uh, we are not, we don't see ourselves as competing with the other coins. We, we're, we're sort of trying to be above the fray and we are trying to uh, go after the assets that are currently non-digital. So our, our interest area is really everything that's not in the digital domain yet. Um, and we want to give people a digitization platform that can handle the demands of stocks and and everything else. Like, this is a really demanding space. And other people can't really play much of a role in here. You're not going to be doing Bitcoin for this. You're not going to be doing Ethereum for this at the moment, uh, and so on. Um, and maybe one last, last thing has to do with where we're going to go as a team. So we are currently super busy with defining Ava the platform. And there are many teams in this space. They create a company that's typically a shell company the company is useful for as long as the, the mainnet launch, and then the company is disbanded, uh, and then they disappear. We do not see ourselves doing that. Of course, we will have absolutely zero control over the network once mainnet is out, right? So that is clear. Um, but we will then continue to build vertically up the stack. So if I take a step back and I look at the space, I don't really see that many people uh, actually developing tech. So the criticism that some people lobby at us or lob at us is right, that this is not, there's some innovation, but it happened about 10 years ago. There's a lot of copycatting that's going on right now. Um, but, uh, but there aren't that many people with brand new ideas, and I'm not really seeing the kind of development I want to see. There are lots of exciting applications of blockchain technology. I am not seeing um, anything that I would consider a credible push in critical areas. Um, so I don't want to name these because they are our secret sauce that we're going to focus on. But just take a look at finance. Like who is really tackling the, high, the, the hard questions at the layer above? It seems like we all turned inwards. Crypto Twitter is insanely inward oriented. It's insanely tribal and it's insanely pointless. It's not going anywhere. They're fighting over the, how to divvy up a single pie. And I want to work on next on all these things that I know are possible when you have a good foundation that other people are not working on. And I want to actually disrupt finance. I want to go That's to- That's why you're in New York now, huh? Yeah, exactly. We're going down to Williamsburg and I want to disrupt finance and I want to teach these guys, look, you guys, Wall Street, you're doing something and it's based on a lot of manual checking, audits and human intensive tasks. 
and we can come up with a better foundation that just prohibits malfeasance and puts us on a much better foundation. And this ought to be the foundation for a new world. And it's not restricted to finance. It's the same problem for finances as for supply chain as it is for medical, like mm-hmm. medical HIPAA records, anything like that. These are all the same classification of problems. If you solve it in one space, exactly, you solve it for all of them. Exactly. All right. Well, uh, how do people how do people reach you? How do they get a hold of you? Colin has one more thing after you answer. Oh no, no, we're good. Okay. I, I just I'm telling them and hang on until after the call after we wrap up. Yeah. Okay. Um. So you can follow me on Twitter. It's Elite Hacksor E L three three T H four X O R. Um. And uh, let's see. You can follow my blog hackingdistributed.com. Um, and um, if anybody wants to get in touch with us at AVA, please email contact at avalabs.org. So that's contact at avalabs.org. I will receive it as well as uh, a couple of my, of my people. And uh, we will respond to any and every, everyone uh, who has uh, anything of interest uh, or any question that, that's bothering them. Um, in particular, we're very excited to work with people who have demanding needs from blockchains and want to deploy cool applications on top. We want to help you. And we will not compete in domains where we know we have good partners. Well, I have one, so I'll be contacting them. Fantastic. Uh, All right, thanks for coming on the show. Again, uh, we look forward to having you back on to talk more about kind of the the AVA architecture as well as the plans on building on top of it, because there's a lot more to uncover here. Great. Well, this will take a few passes to get it right. You know, like, I'm sorry about that, but yeah, thank you. Thank you very much for having me. This was a blast as always.